My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Well, it is great to be back at Zion Stone. Uh, I was here about a year ago uh, for your 250th anniversary. That was a really cool celebration. Um, and if you, uh, it's been cool for me to become a friend of this congregation over the last few years. And the reason I'm a friend of this congregation is because Pastor Mike and Shantae have been faithful friends to me. And they've been a blessing in my life. And if you want to be their faithful friend this week, uh, don't contact them while they enjoy their vacation in Florida, right? If you need anything, talk to one of your elders, let them take care of it, and let's give them a great week away. They're doing a mini landsman uh, reunion in Florida. Most of Mike's family lives down there. So uh, that's one way that you can be a faithful friend to them. Uh, Today's sermon is going to center on Luke chapter 12. That's the parable that Barry just read for us. For some of us, this parable might be familiar, and for some of us, it might be unfamiliar. So here's the context of this parable. The context is that Jesus is preaching to thousands upon thousands of people. Luke chapter 12 verse 1 tells us. And the crowds are so big that people are trampling each other. It seems as if they're attempting to get really close to him. Now there's no microphones in this day. So people are are maybe trying to uh, hear what he's saying. They're trying to understand what he's getting at. Jesus at this time in his ministry had become a noted teacher. We're going to see that in this Uh, in this story, a man comes to him and calls him teacher. And he says that as he's teaching to thousands of people, uh, he turns to his disciples and he he begins to teach them. So it's as if he's kind of having a little bit of a smaller conversation with his disciples. And as he's doing this, a man comes to him and says, teacher, that's a sign of respect. He says, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance of my family with me. Now he was not asking Jesus to divide the inheritance 50-50. That would have never happened in their culture. Most likely the oldest son would have gotten two-thirds. And the rest of the inheritance would have been divided amongst the younger sons. The daughters would have gotten nothing. Uh, They would have received their inheritance with their husbands as they move into a different family. We don't like that idea. Our culture doesn't do it that way. It was just the culture of the day. And he says, he gets an audience with Jesus, and he says, Jesus, get me my money. Isn't that what he's saying? Get me my money. And this is what Jesus does. Often. He uses uh, questions that people ask and things that they want to not necessarily answer them, but he uses it as an opportunity to teach the people that are there and to teach us. And when this man comes to him and says, Jesus, get me my money, Jesus says, listen, I am not 
the judge and the arbiter in your legal dispute. Now certainly Jesus is a judge, isn't he? The first time Jesus came, he did not come mainly as judge, he came as savior. But he will come again, and he will come as judge. That will be his primary role when he returns to this earth. He will be a judge. But in his first coming, he says, I'm not going to settle this legal dispute, this family dispute. Now, thankfully, we live in such an age where money would never divide a family, right? <laughs> Isn't God wise? Isn't God wise? The things that they're dealing with in the first century are the same things we're dealing with today. And as Jesus launches into this teaching, he says, Beware of all types of greed or covetousness. That's his first warning. Beware of all types of greed or covetousness. And then he launches into a parable. And he, he tells a story about a man who's respected in his community. And the man has a farm. And the business, the farm, does really, really well. And the, the business and the farm does so well that the man goes, you know what I need to do? He sets out to make a plan for his life. He says, here's what I'll do. My business is doing really well. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. Therefore, I'll have kind of a bigger savings account. Right? There's no savings account in those days. Your savings account is what you can hold on to. So he says, I'll, I'll build a, up a nice savings account, a beautiful, beautiful nest egg for myself. And once that nest egg has been perfectly curated, I, I've put it all together, I have everything that I need, then, then I will eat, I'll drink, I'll be merry, I'll finally be happy, I'll finally be happy, and I'll finally be able to relax. Now, that plan is not a terrible plan, is it? In and of itself. In and of itself. But, God appears to that man right after he makes this plan for his life. And he goes, God uses the, the harshest of language. And God says to him, you fool. Would Jesus and God ever use harsh language to get our attention? We see Jesus does it all the time. He does it all the time. And he says to him, you fool. Your soul is required of you tonight. In other words, you will die. And what will become of all this that you've saved up? Then Jesus finishes the parable by saying this. He says, Don't store up treasures for yourself. Be rich towards God. What is Jesus saying in this parable? I want to point out three things. I want us to think about three things, okay? I want to think through the idea of desires. Let me ask you a question. Are desires bad? Is it wrong to make plans? Is it wrong to have goals? Actually, if we look through the entirety of the scripture, none of those things are bad. It's not bad to have goals. It's not bad to have desires. It's not bad to make plans. Jesus says, if you're going to build a tower, you, it, the wise thing to do is you've got to make a plan. So he says very clearly in his word, it's not bad to make plans. But Eastern religions of Buddhism and Hinduism have many things in common. One of the main things that they have in common is that they teach that, the main, that your main problem are your desires. They teach that the good life doesn't come through fulfilled desires, but 
Eastern religions teach that the good life comes by ridding yourself of desires. That is not what Christianity teaches. Christianity doesn't say get rid of your desires. Jesus and his people do not teach that your, my big problem in life is desire. Christianity is not a process of ridding yourself of goals or plans or desire. Jesus never condemns these things. But you know what? We do have a big human problem. Our problem is not that we want things. Think about this. Our problem is that we want things so much that we forget God in the process. That's actually a sin problem. It is the idea of greed or covetousness that Jesus Christ warns of here. What, what is covetousness? The tenth commandment. Thou shalt not covet. What is God saying to us in that? He's not saying your big problem is that you want something. He's saying our big problem is that when somebody else gets something, some, we can get a little jealous in our heart. Right? It's not that we want something, but it's, we, it, it's, our covetousness is this. It's when we say, I can't be happy until I have that thing. I will not be happy until I have that thing. My friend Tommy is one of the funniest guys I know. And, and he, he's a Christian, and he says things that make you think. And one time he and I were sitting in an awesome car and just enjoying it. And he said, he said these four things right in a row. He said, I like this. I like this car. And then he said, actually, I, I want this car. And then he said, I, I need this car. And then he said, I deserve this car. Isn't that what we do? That's the idea of covetousness. It's not that I like it. I admire it. That's cool. That's not covetousness. It's saying, I can't be happy without it. I won't be happy until I have that thing. That's what happened with this man in the story. The things that he desired, the things that he was planning for weren't bad things. Is it wrong to build a business? That's what he did. It's not wrong to build a business. Is it wrong to eat and drink and enjoy and be happy? No. Those things are not wrong. But notice what he said in the story. He said, I'll finally eat and drink and be happy when I get all of those things. I cannot be happy until I get those things. That's the essence of covetousness. By the way, most of the things that we want in life are not bad. Some are. Some are. But most of the things that we want are not. But they can become all-encompassing. I can lose sight. I can lose sight of very important things and, and just subtly become consumed with the goals that I've made for myself. Jesus warns us not to be fools. Jesus warns us not to be fools. This is very harsh language. So what is a fool according to God? What is a fool? What is a fool? In this parable, God comes to the man and says, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. If we look through the entirety of Scripture, we learn that a fool is not a dumb person. A fool is not a person who lacks mental capacity. In fact, the man in this parable is actually quite capable and smart. You don't build a business by being incapable, right? He's actually quite capable and smart. 
Foolishness is not always overtly evil. According to this, pa this passage, the foolish man is not a person who is looked down on by society. But in God's economy, is a fool is one who refuses to accept God's presence and rule over the earth. Psalm 14 tells us, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. You say, wait, wait, you're saying a fool is an atheist? Well, atheism is foolish. But in Psalm 14, God warns us that many times we can be outwardly religious, but we could say in our heart, there is no God. We could be outwardly religious, but live as if there's no God. Live with no trust in God. Say, uh, we, we could... Um, make all types of life plans outside of the wisdom of God. A fool blindly accepts the wisdom and way of the culture which, without stopping to think, I wonder how God would want me to think about this from his word. A fool will never talk about obedience to God. A fool says, I will not question my own thoughts, desires, or plan because they are the best that I can come up with. And I want you to notice what this Fool, that's God's word for him, says in verses 17 to 19. Listen to the way he thinks. He says, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and goods. And, I, and he does self-talk. I will say to myself, Saul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This fool is completely focused on his own way of thinking, his own desires, without considering God in any way. He is shaping his entire life. That's the essence of foolishness. A fool never pauses to ask, what is faithful, God? God, what is faithful? God, what is obedient? See, a fool lives in the material world, the things that we can see and touch. And a fool believes that is all that there is. Jesus says in verse 21 that the fool lays up or stores up treasures for himself only. And here's what Jesus does here. And he does this over and over again. Jesus says that the material world, the things that we can see and touch, are not ultimate. But he doesn't say that the material world doesn't matter. Jesus never says that the spiritual world is all there is. And he never claims that the material world doesn't matter. We have a tendency to do this in our life. This is called dualism. We have a tendency to think, partially as Christians, we think this way. Well... We, we can have a tendency to think this. Well, there's the material world, and there's the spiritual world. And that, that's actually the good world, and this is kind of the dirty world. And we don't, we, 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 we just, they're completely separated. Jesus doesn't talk that way. He doesn't say that earthly blessings are terrible. He doesn't say that uh, the things around us are awful. But he does warn us that there's a tendency 
to only appreciate the things that we can see and touch and to neglect the things of God. Jesus is saying that our human tendency will be to tend to and care for the material world without considering God and his blessings. He, says we, he seems to say we'll make all kinds of earthly plans for our future and our wealth, but we won't consider God. Don't we tend to do this? Don't we tend to make life plans? And these plans are not evil. But many times when we think through what our life will be like, and young people, I want you to think about this, okay? You're not the only ones that are going to struggle with this because old people struggle with this as well. We, 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 we want to map out our life, right? And we say, I want to maybe get a career when I'm 18 or go to college. And then maybe sometime in my late 20s, early 30s, I want to get married. And then I want to have, we want to buy our first house. And then we want to have our first baby. And maybe, maybe have our second and third. And then have a good career. And um, then if, if we work really hard, then maybe someday, just maybe we can retire. And then we want to enjoy our retirement. And then enjoy our grandkids. Did anything that I, that I just said, is anything that I just said sinful in and of itself? Not one thing. Everything that I just said is cool and a blessing from God. It's all blessings from God. But do you see what, the way I did it? And this is the way I have tended to do it in my own life. And if you're honest, older people, we, we have a tendency to do it this way. I'll make all my plans. And I have not even thought how I would do them as, a, as an obedient, faithful person to the Lord. See, it's not the plans that are the issue. It's our tendency to just focus on the plans and as humans neglect God. That's what a fool is. Now, lastly, let's end with this. How do we avoid the way of the fool? How do we avoid the way of the fool? Jesus says it very carefully and clearly in verse 21. He says, become rich towards God. Uh, you could also interpret it as rich in the sight of God or generous towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? All of my points about being rich towards God are taken from the entirety of Luke chapter 12. I believe in the entirety of this passage, God spells out for us what it means to be rich towards him. This passage, I don't believe, is unclear about being rich towards God. And many people in church ministry are afraid to talk about riches. We're afraid to talk about money. Now, do you know why? Isn't there a common criticism in our society that goes, Ah, oh, churches. And I've been involved in, in Christ church my whole life. And I hear this criticism over and over again. Oh, churches. They're just all about money. You have heard this criticism over and over. It's just all about money. Well, maybe people have had bad experiences. Maybe there are churches out there that are all about money. I know this church is not. But maybe, as humans, we don't want anybody talking to us about a very, very private thing like our finances. 
Isn't there some sort of anxiety that comes up in us in a church setting or in any setting if, if a few sensitive topics come up, right? Marriage, oh, we get a little tense. Sex, oh, we get a little tense. Money, oh! Jesus didn't live like that. Jesus taught 39 parables. 11, and 11 of them are directly about money. Directly. Many of them are indirectly about money. Jesus is very concerned about what we do with our money. So what does it mean to be rich towards God? Here's a pathway to becoming rich towards God. And I'm losing, using Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 verses 22 to 25. Do not be anxious about money. The greatest anxiety that I have had in my life has centered around money. I'm probably not unlike you. Much of my anxiety has been about worry about whether or not I was going to get to do that thing or pay that bill or, or get the goal, hit the goal that I wanted to get or retirement. Started thinking about retirement when I was 30, in my 30s, and all of a sudden, our anxiety levels go up, right? I am not the only one. I'm not the only one. And Jesus says, do not be anxious about money. The reason we are not rich towards God, one reason, is because we do not believe that God is really in charge of our world and hence in charge of all that comes to us. The reason we withhold our money... Uh, it's because we think we've earned it and have forgotten that God has given it to us. The reason we are not rich towards God is because we've forgotten that he has promised us all over his word that we uh, will receive back more than all we've ever given to him. And Jesus reminds this, uh, us of this in verse 22 when he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. They don't have, Jesus says, they don't have a savings account. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you are not able to do a small thing, uh, do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? The very next verse after this parable is Jesus talking about our anxiety about money. Jesus perceives in this fool a massive anxiety about money. That's why he's storing and storing and storing. And in his storing, he's not enjoying God. He's not enjoying the people of God. And he's not even enjoying life. The fool says, I'll enjoy life and I'll be free of anxiety when I get there. He seems to be saying something like this. I will enjoy all that God has given me only in my retirement. That's what, that's what he seems to indicate. Then I'll be happy. Then my anxiety will go away. Then I'll be rich towards God when I get there. In my experience, if we wait to be rich towards God when we have that thing, uh, once we have that, we'll have another goal for ourselves. And giving and richness towards God will fall right off the table. 
Secondly, when it comes to being rich towards God, Luke 12, 31, with your money, Jesus says, seek his kingdom. That, that, that verse is about what we do with our finances. The fool in the parable had a plan for every eventuality of his life, but he had no plan towards giving to the Lord. I encourage you, Zion Stone, and I know many of you do this, because God has blessed this church. Give your money as a sacrifice of praise to the Lord in his church and invest in eternity. Watch him build up his kingdom on earth. Watch him change your view of what you need. And Jesus promises a blessing for those who seek his kingdom with their finances. He said, all these things will be added to you. The desires of your heart will be met as you seek first the rule and the reign of Christ through your financial investment. All these things will be added to you, Jesus says. All of the things that you're anxious about, God may change your view on that. And he will not let you down. You know, the idea of God not letting us down is like all over the scriptures. But I can say from my own life, that is true. And many of you could say the same. Has he let you down? Or has he always taken care of you? Has he always taken care of you? And then lastly, verse 34, see Jesus as your treasure. Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I have often thought of this verse as a verse about money, and it is in part. But the ultimate treasure is not what I build on this earth or even what God uses me to do in eternity. The greatest treasure is Jesus Christ. Can I ask you a personal question? This goes all the way down to the depth of my heart and your heart. Do you treasure Jesus? Do I value him? You know, it is possible to value this community like these people. It is possible to value this building like this building. And forget about Jesus. That's the, that's the, that's the threat of every church. That's the, that, 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 that's the, that's the, uh, that's the uh, wrestling that every Christian has to deal with. We have to ask, our questions to, to ask ourselves the question, do we treasure Jesus? You know, I don't think we become rich towards God by having a plan for giving, although I think Jesus says here we need to have plans for giving. We become rich towards God because we see Jesus as our treasure. We see him as valuable. We see Jesus not as just an example in a book, but we see Jesus as ultimate reality. The second person of the Trinity who took on flesh and came to earth, who actually lived a perfect life, who never disobeyed the law of his Father, who always walked in obedience to our Lord, who went all the way to a cross, not as an idea, but in history, it happened. And he was raised by the 
power of the Holy Spirit on the third day. And he sits, he ascended and he sits by God the Father. And he intercedes for his people. When you're, when you're scared about your finances and your life or your health, Jesus prays for you. When you don't know how to pay your bills, Jesus will take care of you. Jesus is ultimate reality. Do you believe that? Do you believe that everything that I said happened in history? And Jesus sits next to God the Father. People go, man, you Christians. I, I can't believe you Christians are so naive. You think that God parted the Red Sea and allowed the, the Israelites to walk through? You think that? We do. And by the way, there's a million other things that are much more important than that that I believe. I believe Jesus was born of a virgin. That God the Son came to earth. And when we believe these things that God tells us in his word, that's true faith. That's true faith. And we begin to see Jesus as valuable. Because he's not just a bud then. He is ultimate reality. He is a friend. But he's the creator. He's the savior. And he's ultimately the judge. We see him as valuable because without his death and resurrection, we cannot be part of his kingdom. Without him, we're always on the outside looking in. But by faith in him, we're saved. We're in his family. We're on his team. And investing our money in the church and with the needy is just, it's just us saying, thank you, Lord, for taking care of all my needs, whether they're spiritual or they're earthly. It's saying to God, thank you for relieving me of taking care of myself. You are the ultimate shepherd. Thank you. Help me to be rich towards you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to treasure Jesus. Help us to see him as valuable. May that shape our lives. And then our giving is just us saying, thank you. Because you've always taken care of us. And you've been so good to us. You've given us way more than we deserved. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Zion's Stone Church. We're in the middle of a building repair campaign, and if you'd like to help, please go to www.gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We'd appreciate anything you'd be able to donate. If you're ever in the area, you're always welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m. God bless you.